Amen. Uh, grateful for Josh and Amy and uh, uh, as we do things like this on days that we worship in the park, then we are reminded of the, the pandemic because the room is empty, except today the room's not completely empty. It's kind of fun. We get to have uh, Josh's parents, Heather and Lee Parmenter, who are the only two, I mean, you know, Josh and Amy are here, you just saw them, but these two are, are right here. So I'm going to preach to them and you guys get to listen in. Maybe it's the other way around, but we'll just, we'll just go through it. Um, t- today's a beautiful day uh, here in Castle Rock, and so tonight at the park we'll gather at Miller Park, the amphitheater, it's in the back, and if you've not come to one of the outdoor services, then you're in for a treat. Uh, so if you come at 4.30, we'll have food trucks and games for the kids, and then church starts at 6, and it, uh, it should be a, just a beautiful night for us to gather together. And it's a very unique place. It's this open amphitheater, and we hope that you'll be there. So if you're anywhere near the area, then you need to come tonight. And one of the reasons you need to come tonight is because this, the verse for this one verse for this weekend is Psalm 24.1, but we're not going to get into that this morning. We'll do it tonight um, because of the unique nature of park tonight and then online today, we get a chance to kind of build part one and part two, sort of. We're going to frame this verse around a teaching of Jesus, around a parable. And so this will set up for tonight. So if you don't live nearby, tonight's message, it will be online this week. You can watch it. And uh, for the folks that come tonight that missed this morning, even today's message this morning's will be online and they can kind of put the pieces together. But this parable is a tough parable. And so it will be uh, sort of bad news, good news type sermon. And so the good news is tonight, we hope you can make it to the park. So near the end of Jesus's ministry, uh, Matthew 21, during the last week of his life, Jesus says, now look, I I want you to hear another story. Some translations say, I want you to hear another parable. Near the end of Jesus's ministry, he begins to just speak very plainly. That doesn't mean he doesn't tell parables, he does. But as this parable unfolds, it will be very obvious what it means. In fact, some of the religious leaders that heard Jesus give this parable, you know, the first time he told it in person, they knew exactly what he was talking about. It didn't require any explanation. It wasn't cloaked. It wasn't a riddle. There was no interpretation needed. They knew exactly who Jesus was speaking to and speaking about. And so Jesus, when he does this, he tells a story. His hope is that you can hear this story, no matter what the parable is, this one specifically, of course, today, but that you get to sort of listen in as if you were an observer, as if this isn't about you. And the hope is that you would gain some self-awareness, gain an understanding of yourself by just sort of watching. And we do this all the time. We, we see somebody make a mistake and then it warns us. We think, oh, I, you know, if I'm in that situation, I don't want to do that. We see somebody engage in something that's good or successful, and we think, ah, now that I've seen it, I can do it. Jesus wants you to do this with the story. He wants you to observe it, and then by virtue of the imagination that God has gifted, gifted you with, you get to put yourself in that very story and learn from it. And so that's our hope. So here's how the story begins. The parable, Jesus jumps right in. He says this, there's a certain landowner and he planted a vineyard and he built a wall around it and he dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Now, when Jesus begins this parable, he sets the stage and he describes this landowner. Now, we won't 
take a lot of time to develop the interpretation of all of the pieces, but the certain landowner, of course, is God the Father. And he plants a vineyard and he does all of this to prepare it. He's thinking of everything. He's a thoughtful owner. He knows that you're going to live there. He knows that you're going to be a part of this. And he's thought of everything. Even a lookout tower, which would imply that there could be some enemies out there that may come after you. And so I just want to be sure that this is a place where you can live and thrive and be safe and that you can enjoy what he's made. This is what God is, is pondering. Now, as I read the parable this week and thought about this Sunday, I realized I have never preached a message on this parable. And as this parable unfolds, maybe it'll become obvious why, because it's, it's got some dark turns in it. It's, it's a tough one to stomach, but the message behind it will help set up Psalm 24. So God plants a vineyard and he begins to prepare it. After he's prepared it, Jesus continues the story and he says this, then he leased the vineyard to the tenant farmers and he moved to another country. And it's obvious as Jesus does this in just a few verses, uh, sets the stage that this vineyard exists and that he's made it for what will eventually be tenant farmers, that, that, that God, of course, is the creator and he's made all of this. And you and I, me and you, we are the tenant farmers. We're the ones that come in and we, we get to take care of what God has made. And this is true not just of those who are listening to this parable. It's true of me. It's true of anyone who would know God, anyone who has a relationship with God and desires to walk with him, live with him, and take care of what he's made. And as we do this, we represent the owner. It, we come in and we work in his place and we bear the image of the one who created all of it. And so we have this responsibility. And now the owner, previous verse, the landowner, he knew all this was going to happen beforehand. He wants to share his goodness and his love and his mercy and his resources and the, the beauty of this place with us. And we share it with him in relationship. And so there's a relationship between the tenant farmers and the, the landowner. And as Jesus describes it, you could be tempted to fall into the idea that it's an employee, an employer kind of relationship. That's how most of us engage with our work or our jobs. But Jesus, of course, has something very different in mind. He knows that we will work hand in hand with who God is and that we will take what he's done and partner with him to see it flourish and grow and good things come from it. And this isn't the first time that we see this idea that, that we get to represent as tenant farmers the owner, the landowner, the creator of all of it. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis, it makes it very clear that so God created mankind in his own image the idea that we would represent the owner in this relationship, in this place, in this vineyard that we live in, means that we bear his image. That we, by the way we live and by the way we experience others, we give people a glimpse of who this landowner is. By the way we love, by the way we show mercy, by the way we give kindness, by the way we allow the world around us to flourish. The idea is pretty simple, that uh, you as a, a Christian, this idea first termed in the book of Acts, that you 
operate or walk around in this world as a little Christ. That's what it means. That when people see you, they get a glimpse of who God is. Why? Well, you, you bear his image. You were made in his image. And so the landowner develops this place, lets us inhabit it, intend to it, and love it, and watch it flourish so that we can live this way. Now, this relationship between the tenant farmers, us, and the landowner, God, it is powerful and it's unique. And this parable in several verses describes what Psalm 24.1 describes in one verse. And so this picture and the context of it in Matthew 21 might give the verse in the psalm tonight a little more texture for you. Now, this isn't the first time that we see this idea or imagery of a vineyard. In fact, in this last week of Jesus' life, uh, he develops this idea of a vineyard uh, in deep, deep thought, pictures, analogy. In fact, when you go back to John 15, which occurs this long discourse that Jesus gives his disciples, it matches up the timeline with Matthew 21. All happens during the last week of Jesus's life. This idea of a vineyard, Jesus is very clear. And this is what he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. A little different than landowner, but the same imagery, the same analogy, metaphor, it all applies. And this is the picture that Jesus gives. This is the idea that he is laying out the last week of his life. And he wants you to see, he wants you to know, if you don't live around grapevines, it's a little bit challenging. But for the disciples, they would have had pictures of vineyards, owners, the structure behind it, those that work it, those that clean it, those that harvest it, those that press the grapes, all of it. And Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, my father he is the gardener. And he goes on to say this as well. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. We play this part. And it's because of all of this teaching that Jesus gives that we know that he has this relational idea in mind. That God is the landowner, we're the tenant farmer. It's not a distant employee-employer relationship. We are all connected. The gardener, the vine, and the branches. And then this is his promise. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's a beautiful picture. And this is God's hope for these tenant farmers, that they would produce much fruit. One summer, in what feels like a, a lifetime ago, our boys were little. We uh, tilled a garden and we put in some rich soil, we added some stuff, and, and it was uh, just a, a, a large area in our backyard. And we planted some cucumber seeds and a few other things and, and watered and wait. And of course, for the first several days, the boys are like, come on, it, wh wh where's the stuff? All we see is dirt. And then they began to see little sprouts peek through the, the ground and then stuff began to grow. And by midsummer, uh, most of our garden, after we had planted these little tiny cucumber seeds, was filled with vines from end to end. And then a few weeks later, we saw some little fruit some little fruit. And so you're thinking, aren't cucumbers veggies? I, I don't eat veggies, so they have to be fruit. And so the cucumbers began to grow. And then a few weeks later, they were huge and massive. And then they began to multiply. I mean, we had, we had just cucumbers on top of cucumbers. Our boys were, uh, you know, four, six years old. They had a little wagon that they pulled all the way to our backyard to harvest these cucumbers. And they became that summer 
the neighborhood door-to-door salesman selling cucumbers for a quarter. And this was the picture that I would have had, this producing of much fruit. More cucumbers that we know what to do with. This harvest was incredible. And so we ate them and we gave them away. We couldn't sell them fast enough all summer long into the fall. This is the picture of fruit that is more than we know what to do with. This is what God wants out of our relationship with him. I'm the vine and you're the branches and we will make much fruit together. And so in the parable, Jesus is continuing to paint this picture of what's about to happen during the last week of his life. It's with the time of the grape harvest, the parable in Matthew 21 continues, the landowner sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. What does that mean, his share of the crop? Was it the, the, the profits from the crop or, or just the crop itself? Did the, did the landowner want some of the grapes from this crop? We don't really know, but we know this, that the landowner, that God has this investment in his people and that he benefits from what is raised or what is a result of the relationship, the fruit. So what is it that happens in this moment and what do the servants expect to find? What is the crop? Well, if you go back to John 15 and and countless other places in Scripture, Jesus makes it clear that the the fruit that comes from the result of being connected as a branch to the vine and being tended to by the gardener, well, John 15, he gets very specific that this is love and that it's joy. He describes this joy. And he gives a picture of what this crop looks like in my life and your life as we interact with one another. This love, it's just like those uh, cucumbers that our boys filled this wagon with. There's more that we can count. This is enough for everybody. Everybody eats, everybody enjoys. And this love is just a feast. And then he says, and then your joy will overflow. In in fact, if if the tenant farmers have done their job, this crop just is so plentiful Everybody has more than their share. And it's given freely. Paul expands on the same idea, right? In Galatians, he says, there is fruit that comes from the Spirit living in you and working. And he doesn't just talk about love and joy the way Jesus does in John 15. He talks about other things that come as a result, like peace, patience, self-control, gentleness. All of these things that are a part of this crop. So when Jesus tells this story, he's saying, well, there's a great harvest and the servants are coming and they're gonna get their share of the crop. This is where the parable begins to take a turn. And it's the last week of Jesus's life. He has said to his disciples over and over again, hey, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna get arrested and beaten. They're gonna kill me, but on the third day, I'm gonna rise again. And so he's gonna give this same picture, at least the first part of it in this parable. And while he's teaching this, the legalists, the Pharisees, scribes, the teachers of the law, they're all listening. So here's what happens next. They show up to take some back to the landowner, but the farmers grabbed his servants, they beat one and they killed one, and then they stoned another. And it's a, it's a violent turn that happens in this story. And so the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. 
Can you imagine? I mean, just take yourself out of parable land for a moment and imagine this actually occurring. The landowner who lives, I don't know, maybe down the road or maybe in a distant land, he sends people to tend to his investment, to reap from the investment, and this is how they are treated by the people that he hired to take care of his land, to tend to it, to see that it would flourish. I mean, I mean the, the landowner has got to have a certain amount of trust and investment in those he hired. No doubt he hired a manager. No, no doubt he hired a, a boss. And maybe he hired some mid-level managers. And maybe there were workers. And they're doing all kinds of work. Some of them are, are cleaning the vines. Some of them are harvesting the grapes. Some of them are pressing the grapes. Some of them are bottling the wine. All of these things are occurring. It's a full-functioning vineyard. It's a beautiful place. And it's designed to flourish and create crops and fruit and eventually wine. And so the landowner sends some people to collect on his investment and this is how they are treated. And of course, the landowner gets word all this has occurred and you know what he's thinking. These tenants, these tenants are acting like owners. You and I, were tenants. Do you ever act like an owner? Do you ever make decisions as if your resources were your own? Do you ever pick a course for your life as if God does not really have a say in it? Do you ever read some of the things in the Gospels that Jesus says? And when he says them, you think, I mean, that's just unreasonable. The bar's too high. I can't live it. I don't understand it. I'm just going to set that aside and pay no attention to it for now. Do you have somebody in your life that comes to mind when Jesus says, and I tell you, love your enemies? And our approach is to say, well, I don't know who that is for, but it's not for me. Do you ever act like an owner? And then God, the landowner, he says this. So finally, the owner sent his son Jesus says, thinking what? Surely they will respect my son. It doesn't take any discernment whatsoever to understand the point of the parable. The parable takes a darker turn yet as the son is, is killed. And of course, Jesus uses this parable to paint a picture of what will happen to him. That God is the landowner, that he has planted a vineyard. And the, the analogies, the, the metaphor connecting Israel to God's planting that happened foretold, starting with Abraham and the prophets that followed. And of course, maybe those, those servants that were sent, well, you could represent any of them as uh, Jeremiah or Isaiah or somebody else that came along to tell the truth, John the Baptist. And they were beaten or killed. And so the owner sends his son. Surely they will respect my son. Now, it's easy for us to turn the attention to the Pharisees and the, the legalists of the day. But of course, when we read the Gospels, we know exactly what it means to respect the son. That we pattern our lives after the teachings of Jesus. 
Not what I say or not what I teach. I'm just a messenger and hopefully represent the words of Christ or the words of Scripture well. But that when you open up Scripture and you read it, that you make a decision that you will live a certain way. Surely they will respect my son. Well, as you know, the parable ends with the tenant farmers not respecting the son. But imagine just for a moment a different outcome. Imagine that the son were to show up and say, Look, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what, what you did to the other people that we sent, but I, I just want to understand what's happening. Let me, let me explain to you what the landowner has in mind for you and the future and for expansion, and we want you to be a part of it. We want you to flourish as well. We want what's best for you, and for some reason, that message hasn't gotten through or you haven't believed it. Maybe it's because you're heart of heart. Maybe it's because you like control. Maybe it's because you want more than should be given to you. But just imagine for a moment that the, the tenant farmers aren't belligerent or hard-hearted. Just imagine a different ending to this parable where you and I who have soft hearts, who are brought into an understanding of God's love and how much he wants for us, we listen to the son and we hear a picture of what the landowner had in mind for our life his benevolent goodness, his mercy, grace, forgiveness. And instead of fighting it, instead of taking control, instead of grabbing for something that isn't ours and making it our own, instead of doing what Adam and Eve did in the garden or so many throughout history or even us this past week with our lives and our choices, our decisions, we take a different approach. Instead of fighting, we surrender. And we say to the son, oh, we, we didn't know. We didn't understand. Our, our perspective, it was, it was off. We missed it. Forgive us. Forgive us. We're so sorry for what we did. And surely we will respect you as the son. It's a very different outcome, isn't it? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine your outcome being like that today? where you decide, I, I, I did act like an owner this week. I did decide that I was going to go my own way or take my own thing or grab for something that isn't mine or use my resources my way because they belong to me when in fact they don't belong to me at all. My family doesn't belong to me. What's in my bank account doesn't belong to me. My relationships don't even belong to me. They're a stewardship that I have been given to use for God's purposes so that this vineyard that we're in will flourish? What would be a result of that relationship? Well, it would be things like love and joy. It would be good fruit. It would be so much fruit that I couldn't fit it in a wagon that I'm walking around to my neighbors trying to just hand it away. Love and mercy and grace. It doesn't belong to us. It would be the very thing that Jesus describes in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce what? Much fruit. You want that fruit. I, I, I want that fruit in my life. 
There have been times in the last few weeks when there has been a call for a certain kind of fruit in my relationships or in my interactions or even just deep in my own heart. And I tried to find it. I went to the pantry of my heart and it wasn't there. Open up the door and there's love that's being called for and all I have is judgment. Or there's peace that's being called for and all I did was stir up anxiety with my comments. And when this happens, it's as if God has sent his son and we have killed him anew as if for the very first time. So God has invited us into this relationship. We don't like the arrangement much. We prefer control. We prefer to be masters of our own destiny. But as the landowner, his promise is is that he will want what's very best for us in a benevolent way and we get to enjoy it, flourish, do good work, clean off the branches and bring about much fruit. But that fruit is not for us, it's for others. It's the way fruit is. It's never for the tree. It's always for someone else to enjoy. This is what God has called us to. This parable paints a picture of the truth that's contained in Psalm 24.1, which will give us one verse that will almost can function as a There's a way for us to have a lens or a paradigm of viewing everything, and we'll dig into it tonight. Let me guide you through just a moment of prayer that will help this parable take root and hopefully move us from being uh, tenant farmers who want control to servants of God who have relinquished all control and surrendered. So Lord, we come right now in thoughtful prayer and we ask that you would meet us in this place. And we ask for those who are listening online that they too would allow the Spirit to illuminate parts of their heart where we have taken back control of our own lives, not surrendered to you. Where you have sent us a messenger along the way to say, "Ah, are you sure I've come to share in the crops? Where you, Lord, as landowner, have said, this is where you need to go or the path you need to take and we've resisted. And our hope, Lord, is that today in this place and even tonight as we gather in person uh, in the beauty of your creation, you would meet us in the moments where we find ourselves resisting surrender to you. And so, Lord, what have those moments been for us this week? Would you call them to mind right now? When have we found, when have we found ourselves um, pushing against you? Choosing our own attitudes, priorities, grabbing resources for ourselves. Lord, as you bring these occasions to mind, we recognize that your grace and mercy is so full and complete that you're calling us not to a place of punishment, but to a place of love, not to a place of being ostracized or even separated from you, but to a place where we can be more fully surrendered to you. For we desire to live lives that bring about much fruit. This is our hope and this is our prayer. And we ask that you would walk with us through this day in the powerful name of Jesus. We say amen.